Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist. We should just call you the Friday guy. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. You're the Friday guy as well. You're the Monday to Friday guy, aren't you? I'm good. You okay? Very good, sir. Very, very good. Staying healthy for the time being, Chris. Trying my best. But uh, I think we'll hop straight. Before we go to Stephanie, just a quick one. What have you been doing over the last couple of days on The Naked Scientist? Uh, I had a really interesting chat yesterday with a gentleman called Saul Valeda, who is a researcher over in the States. He's at University of California, San Francisco. And he has discovered that if you exercise a mouse, in other words, you let it run around on its wheel, then you do what we do in the blood clinic where we do a blood donation. If you turn that mouse into a blood donor and you give some of its plasma to an old mouse that hasn't been doing any exercise, you can change the brain age of the recipient mouse by about the equivalent of a human halving their age. So you could take a 70-year-old human and give them the brain of a 40-year-old. In other words, you, you give this plasma transfusion from an old or young exercising mouse and it will dramatically reduce the ageing effects in the brain and improve cognitive function to the effect that as though you've taken 30 or 40 years off a human's lifetime in terms of their brain function and they think that they found the factor or at least one of the factors in the bloodstream that does this it's a protease it's a chemical like molecular scissors that goes around chopping markers off of cells and it's involved in reducing inflammation around the body and it comes out of the liver when we exercise and the blood of course carries it everywhere it doesn't go into the brain in appreciable amounts but it does reduce total body inflammation and we think that a generous proportion of the aging process is down to inflammation. So if you reduce inflammation, you have healthier body, healthier brain. It's a paper in science this week. So because they know what the factor is, it might be possible for us to have our cake and eat it. So you could still sit in the armchair and not do any exercise, but reduce your brain deterioration by, by using this knowledge to have an artificial way of supplementing yourself with this uh, this chemical that's produced during exercise that reduces the ageing process. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> It is. Just pop an anti-inflammatory while you're watching Days of Our Lives. Correct. Um, sounds good to me. Let's go to Stephanie in Stellenbosch. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Kina. How are you? Always good. Thank you for asking. I trust you good as well. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Good Enjoying day. the rain. I just wanted to ask Dr. Chris. I have a grandson in Namibia who's eight years old, turning nine. Um, they never have to cut his toenails. He only had his toenails cut when he was a baby. And I want to know if he would know why. Morning. Fascinating question. Morning, Most Chris. people's nails grow at about the same rates, apparently roughly the same rate that tectonic plates move at. If his hair is growing and his fingernails grow, I'm slightly confused as to why the toenails aren't growing. The obvious explanation, of course, there are several, but one is that they're being worn away uh, in some way. Now, uh, in the case of the hands, most people bite their nails if their nails don't need cutting. So is he biting his toenails? Young children are quite supple. They can get their toes in their mouth, and it's not unknown that some do that. He's rather a muscular chap. Okay, Uh, fair enough. Fingernails look like grass, um, but his toenails just don't grow. And most of the time he runs around with nothing on his feet anyway. And there was the other point, which is that one of the other ways is in the same way that dog's claws get worn down by running around on hard surfaces. If you are out and about barefoot a lot, then, or, or even if you wear shoes that are slightly abrasive because they're quite rough, they can actually help to wear away the ends of the nails as they try and grow. 
the other possibility is that actually in him it's a foible of the way his body works the growth plates that make the the toenails in him don't produce nails at the same rate bit confusing this one though because why has he got toenails at all if he took nine months to develop in the womb and was born with toenails and they haven't grown since so that doesn't really add up something's not quite stacking up there when he was a baby but then they just stopped growing Mm. they just didn't I mean, his toes have grown, obviously his feet have grown, but the nails just never grow, so they never require cutting. Yeah, very bizarre. I that very strange. It is a bit strange, yeah. Um, and I've get the only explanations that I can think of are the ones I've given you. So here's a medical mystery. All right, yeah, I will tell him. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You have a safe one as well there, Stephanie and Stellenbosch. A question for Chris. If we accept that uh, time began with the Big Bang and the universe is expanding continually, then is it correct to assume that it is impossible to travel into the future as a human being as the current time is at the limit of my life? Uh, Do you understand that question? There is no tomorrow, basically. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the time's arrow, we're saying, is, is carrying on relentlessly. How might time travel be possible? The answer is that it might be because you can't rule it out with calculations on a piece of paper or in a very powerful computer. But maths and theoretical physics and reality are sometimes at odds with one another because you can prove various things on a piece of paper with very advanced mathematics, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be true. So it's not completely implausible that we wouldn't be able to travel in time, forwards or backwards, but it doesn't seem to be practical, partly because the amount of energy that it would involve, and many of these calculations involve warping the universe in some way. So I, I don't think it's, it's likely in the near future, put it that way. Maybe if we invented a time machine, then we could actually get forward in time to the time when we have invented better ways of travelling uh, into the future. But then Thank I'd already invented the yeah. time machine, wouldn't I? So how would I do that? <laughs> exactly. Chris, thank you for that, and uh, thank you for the question. Another one here. Hi, Chris and Kino. Um, uh, hi, because I, I won't be able to answer the question. Chris will answer the question. What causes your head to feel like you're spinning and throws you off balance? Is it something uh, to do with the ears? Yes, it is. And in fact, this was affecting me a bit yesterday because I, I had some kind of vague viral symptoms yesterday. And one of the symptoms was a sensation of giddiness. And this is a common manifestation when you have an upper respiratory infection caused by a virus, you can get a condition called labyrinthitis. And the name refers to the fact that in your middle ear, as sorry, in your inner ear, as well as the organ of hearing, which is your cochlea, is your organ of balance, the vestibular apparatus. And there are three tiny, what are called semicircular canals. They're about the size of a a small coin, each of them. And they are tubes that are organised in each of the three main axes. So you can imagine you have one which is like a dinner plate balanced on your head. It's in that orientation. You have another one which is like that dinner plate as though you flipped it up. So it's um, so you flipped it up um, by turning your hand through 90 degrees, so you've got it going side to side. And another one, um, if you were to then turn that up, flipped up dinner plate, so it was lying straight down the middle of your head. And the, the reason for having these three canals in three axes is that any movement of your head is then translated into a movement of different proportions or a different vector in each of those canals. And what's in them are tiny amounts of fluid, and that fluid has projecting into it hairs, and those hairs are connected to nerve cells. And when you move, the fluid is temporarily left behind because it has inertia, 
and that leaving the fluid behind means that you then deform or distort the hairs which in turn translate that mechanical movement to the nerve cells that they originate from and the nerve cells transduce or change that mechanical movement into a barrage of nerve impulses which travel down the vestibular cochlear nerve into the brainstem and in your brainstem which is the interface between your spinal cord and the top of the brain the brain proper there are various nerve centers that work out based on the input from each of those canals how your head is moving and therefore what to do with your eyes because you have something called a vestibular ocular reflex which is where you move your eyes in perfect synchrony but opposition to your head movements to keep your vision balanced you also send connections down the spinal cord to various muscle groups so that your muscles move in sympathy with any movements of your body to balance you out so you can can keep standing when you get giddy or vertigo or something irritates that system whether that's drugs like alcohol or other drugs that can depress the system or you get diseases or other things go wrong with this system then you start to have a mismatch between what the world is doing around you what the brain thinks the world is doing and then how your muscles respond and this creates this sensation of giddiness and also it distorts your eye movement so your eyes then begin to move in the wrong direction and that makes you feel even worse and this is the manifestation of vertigo which means a sensation of rotation when the world isn't moving and this is all down to your vestibular system in your inner ear okay thanks for that chris let's go to peter in pinelands hi peter hey how's it going kino good thank you thank you for calling yeah, thank you for taking my call. Chris, I've got a question for you. I've been watching a very interesting documentary about earthing about a guy called Clint, I forgot his surname, and it is fascinating where he reckons in the 60s when we started using um, artificial rubber soles in tackies and things, we don't make in contact with the earth anymore, and he has come up with a way of just going barefoot on the beach, on the grass, on the, on the earth, to get the electrons back into your body to heal inflammation. And people have testified there, and it's amazing what, what, how their lives have changed through this. So I just want to know from your side, earthing and, and, and the principle of it, what do you think of it, and do you know anything about it? Uh, I, I hadn't um, come across this particular idea or concept. Um, to be honest with you, if there's any grounds to this, excuse the pun, then there should be some very good scientific evidence to support it in the form of a clinical trial that shows that people who are not earthed regularly build up enormous amounts of charge imbalance and as a result their health suffers. Now it's certainly true that your health can suffer if you build up a massive charge imbalance because you'll be electrocuted but most people uh, don't don't have that happen to them. They build up just enough charge to get a small static shock if they touch something and, and earth themselves. You'll most frequently notice this when you get out of your car and you're, you've been driving on a, on a dry, warm day, and you touch the outside of the car while you're touching the ground, and you'll get a shock. The fact that you're getting a shock says that the car's a different charge to you, and therefore there is a flow of electricity between the two of you. You're pretty good at uh, conducting electricity between you and your environment normally. So I think probably this, this is what we call uh, bunkum in the science trade. It's uh, probably a load of rubbish. I wouldn't worry about it. If, if there was a huge difference to this, then you'd have seen mortality rates, morbidity rates, and everything else change out of all proportion when people went from um, barefoot to wearing uh, rubber, rubber-soled shoes, which, which just hasn't happened.
<laughs> very interesting. Thanks very much. But I suggest somebody, if you just go on online and just watch the movie, Earthing the Movie, it's about an hour. Yeah. Um, I'm convinced. I'll tell you what I did. Um, very The very night when I watched this movie, I've been, I've been waking up in the morning with sore thumbs. I can hardly wear, uh, use my thumbs uh, on the right hand especially. So I would, in the morning, making my coffee, lift the kettle with my left hand. And then I would have to go through a series of exercises, exercising my thumbs, and it's working. That very night, I went outside into the park on the other side of my house, and I sat on my hands, bare feet, for about five minutes. Promise you, the next morning, 95% of the pain in my thumbs, both my thumbs, disappeared. And even this morning, in the last three mornings, I haven't had that. I can feel it's there. That, that's lovely. Anyway, so that's lovely, but, but it doesn't prove the, the hypothesis, does it? Because all you've done is done something that you know you've done. You've done it on yourself with huge expectation that it's going to work. And therefore, there's a healthy helping of placebo effect in there as well. This is not a clinical trial. A clinical trial with one person who who has a vested interest in making something happen is is not a decent way of analysing and approaching something scientifically. You'd need a big group of people who didn't know what you were testing, didn't know why they were being tested, and had a range of different conditions, all of which were independently tested by, by an observer who didn't know who was doing this and who wasn't. And then you've got a fair trial. And... um, uh, what you've done is probably mainly placebo effect, if I'm honest with you, which means you want something to happen, so you get some benefit even though nothing has. Now, thank you for that one, Peter. Let's go to Gregory. Good morning, sir. Good morning, uh, Chris. Uh, I'd like to know this. Um, someone has uh, mentioned to me in, uh, overseas that they've invented this lamp that has an ultraviolet and a fan. I'm not exactly sure what type of ultraviolet light it is. I'm sure there are different ones. And it's, uh, it, it professes that if you put it into a room, it clears 20 square meters in an hour that all the viruses in that airborne situation goes through the span and gets, um, let's say, uh, neutralized and cleans the air. Uh, so in one hour, you can do 20 square meters of this span that they, they are busy doing the production overseas. And I've got, and I find it quite difficult that they, they, their statement, their, 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 their fame is that it, it kills 99% of every other virus and corona only 95. Somehow it sounds too good, too good to be true. Is it possible <laughs> that this machine well, can do that? Yeah, people are making air purifiers. They work in a range of ways. One of the recent discoveries was that you can use a, a particular regime of ultraviolet light called far UVC. And you can do this to very successfully deactivate viruses, including coronaviruses, because the UVC doesn't travel very far through the air. And therefore, you can safely put this into light sources and any air that passes the lamp will be deactivated. If you have a closed box and you're just drawing air through it, you don't have to use far UVC. You can use any UVC source because it's not going to come out into the room as light. The uh, air is going to go into the box, go past the UV, come back out into the room. There are a number of people who are jumping on this bandwagon. Be careful that you get something that's um, reliable. The other thing to consider is, as you'll have seen this week, the World Health Organization received a letter from hundreds of scientists all over the world who are a range of different disciplines. And they range from people who are doctors and infectious diseases specialists through to people who are fluid dynamics and, and engineers of, of fluids and that kind of thing and how air moves around around the environment. The point they were making is that a significant component of coronavirus spread is airborne particles, 
because previously everyone had obsessed about droplets. This is where the whole business about wearing face coverings comes in because face coverings stop the droplets, the big ones that come out of a person, and that means that you're less likely to pass those on. But the smaller particles, which also issue in in day-to-day going about your business, they aren't so easily arrested by these sorts of processes they can hover in the air for a really long time. So people are talking about having other ways to clean up air in the room. But if you create air currents that move air more, then you're in fact potentially increasing the spread of virus around your environment. So you have to make sure that whatever you do deploys clean air in a safe way. But it's not off the table that people will start um, incorporating into their room design, their room formatting, these sorts of cleansing devices that use things like ultraviolet to destroy particles that go through them and so i think it's a question of watch this space but it's um, certainly plausible that these things can do what they say oh okay, okay. Well. fantastic i'm glad to hear that so what is the uv light uh, the uv uh, the different type of uv light that's uh, that's that well, the one that um, we, we actually ID. featured on the Naked Scientist podcast a few weeks ago, we had a gentleman from America who actually showed that you can use this particular flavour of ultraviolet UVC. It's called Far UVC. And the great oh, virtue of UVC. that is yeah. that you could actually put it in a light bulb in a ceiling because it's so far UV that it doesn't make it through the air to get to you to harm you. It can't penetrate skin uh-huh. even if you did get close to it. But it's very, very bad yeah. news for the genetic material inside virus particles. It, it blasts it to pieces. So their, their idea was oh, that okay. you could just have air that's circulating in a room and it would go past the light source. The light source would baste the local area in this ultraviolet and it would deactivate particles that just wafted past. And if you had a, an array of these things in the ceilings of buildings, as the air flowed past, it would be, it would be naturally... Um, by naturally, destroyed. as in destroyed by the UV, it would be naturally cleansed. Mm. Okay. This well. lamp, that, sorry, Chris, uh, another question, please. This lamp that's, that they're talking about would cost 600 euros. Would that justify the price? Well, this is a very expensive supply um, and demand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's probably as Kino says, this this is economics coming to the fore. These things can be made very cheaply these days. They're not hard to make, and therefore I think they're probably cashing in. Okay. Thank you very I much. I think there's an Thank opportunity, entrepreneurial opportunity for, for someone entrepreneurial in South Africa to come up with an Africa special version of this that can run on solar light, can be easily deployed and scaled, and, and then sell it to the rest of the African continent um, with, and, and, and cut out these dodgy middlemen. Come out of here! Okay. <laughs> See you, Kino. <laughs> Somebody, here we go, Kino, I'm back. I'll put you under the lamp, you know. <laughs> Listen, oh, wow. there, was, there was one guy who suggested that you put a UV lamp in the body. I suggest we use him and try and put... The oh, there's a good idea. Well. Now, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah. With some disinfectant to go with. <laughs> uh, you're listening to The Naked Scientist. Dr. Chris Smith. Let's take a listen to a voice note or two. Kino, the fellow who spoke about the rubber soles on your feet, if it is so incorrect what he's saying, how come um, all animals are able to tell what is happening through their feet? Many animals can, t- not many, all the animals can tell and pick up, pick up motion that tells what's going to happen, that foot, uh, that warns them. And we as humans, many, 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 many years ago, were able to pick up similar, similar sensations in the soles of our feet to warn us or to tell us of impending happenings. Um, 
I'm afraid I'm way behind that guy. I think he's he's talking a lot of sense. Okay, Okay. it's certainly true that animals can sense electricity. There are many animals, think of sharks, for example, that use electroreceptors. They can detect tiny changes in the electric fields in water, and this is how they are guided towards where their prey animals are. Uh, There are animals on the surface of the earth. There are plants that are sensitive to electric fields. We are sensitive to electric fields, but we don't need to have them coming through our feet in order to go about our daily lives. And in fact, going about your daily life with your uh, feet earthed to the ground uh, is probably likely to attract a few strange looks and probably won't translate into a health benefit. Um, The bottom line is that your feet are also richly endowed with vibration sensors and you can feel the vibrations coming up through your feet and you, you can still feel that even if you've got shoes on. We detect our environment in many ways, not just electrically. We feel temperature, we feel vibrations, we feel other movements that are happening. And uh, it's certainly true that uh, you would feel an electric field through your feet, but then you wouldn't know what direction that had come from because if something electrified the ground, your feet are not going to be able to resolve the direction the electricity is flowing in because your feet are so close together. So I don't entirely buy into the idea that we need to walk around with an earthing strop attached to us all the time. Well, there we go. Chris, and we're going to leave it at that, sir. I really want to thank you for always, um, you know, sometimes stirring a bit of debate. But I think mostly we sit and you we sit and listen to you, and we are absolutely fascinated by how you know all of this. <laughs> I try, I and try. Keep working hard each and every day. And we were obviously the other reason why we like you so much is because we know it's a Friday. Then Chris, <laughs> that is true. Weekend. All right, Kino, and you have a great weekend, everybody. See you soon. Bye bye. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. That is the naked scientist, Doctor Chris Smith.